I love these technologies because to me, like it's a huge underpinning to reliability. I don't need people to like sit around and babysit these technologies. They're just going to function on their own. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome back to our continuing series, Mythbusters, Cloud, Security, and Innovation. Like the much more famous Mythbusters TV show, we're going to dive into several myths and through interviews, case studies, and data, bust that myth. Follow us over the next several months as we share blogs, infographics, and of course, podcast episodes. On the second Monday of each month, we will interview a peer CIO, CTO, or business owner who has successfully busted the myth. Two weeks later, we'll hear from an InterVision expert who will further destroy the myth. Of all the myths that we are covering, cloud security, costs, migration, complexity, the myth we are busting today surprises me the most. Believe it or not, there is still a pervasive myth that the cloud is not reliable. Have there been outages? Absolutely. Are they highly publicized? Without a doubt. Today, we are going to dig under the covers a bit and explore the myth, and with our guest, bust the myth. Our guest today is Alejandro Otera, the CTO for NextSpec. NextSpec is leveraging decades of experience in media distribution technology to solve the fundamental challenges of migrating distribution processes to the cloud. Alex, welcome to Status Go, and let's bust that myth. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm looking forward to this conversation, Alex. When you and I met, uh, gosh, a week or two ago, I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And I know our listeners are, are going to walk away with several nuggets from, from your experience. So let's start there. Could you share a little bit about your background and your career journey? Sure. Um, so I work in the uh, media and entertainment post-production space uh, Essentially started out during the launch of DVD for home entertainment uh, way back in the day uh, at Sony Pictures and, and shortly after that left to become a partner in a company called Radius 60. Uh, and at Radius 60, we were the largest boutique provider of a lot of those home entertainment distribution services, you know, very much focused around DVD and then uh, the upcoming technology of Blu-ray. Uh, and then we started to see the advent of the digital supply chain. And so the launch of the iTunes store and Netflix, which we helped yeah. to launch. And over the next you know, decade plus, saw many, many more platforms um, and uh, online retailers sprouting. And we, again, continue to help facilitate a lot of those uh, distribution challenges for the studios. And in 2016, Radio 60 was acquired to grow into Pixel Logic Media. And a very large, uh, you know, peer competitor for a lot of other the uh, uh, power players in in that part of the industry. And um, I was always interested in the tech side of how to manage things uh, a little more efficiently by creating software and hard hardware solutions to the scalability challenges that were b being presented. Um, again, this was a little bit different. Again, as we started to see the online growth of um, you know consumer uh, uh, consumption of the content that the studios were producing where now things were starting to go a lot more global. So 
we hit big scalability challenges and, and again, I was interested in how to solve that with um, you know, some technology solutions as opposed to throwing more people at the problems. And they're very unique challenges because especially in the ME space, you're dealing with petabytes of storage often, like just, yeah. you know, right from the get-go, you're going to deal with petabytes of storage and then single files that are upwards of a terabyte large. Um, and it is worth mentioning that, you know, COVID actually helped to debunk a lot of the industry's reticence in adopting the cloud. Mm -hmm. A lot of that existed because of security concern, concerns. And that really opened up a, a whole new ballgame. Um, and after I realized the opportunities unfolding in the cloud, uh, I joined NextSpec as CTO to help uh, focus on creating cloud-based solutions to a lot of those same challenges. Well, and I, I know we're going to get into this here in a, in a few minutes, kind of that difference between uh, on-prem and now working for a company that's born in the cloud and a little bit about those differences. Tell us a, a bit about NextSpec, what it, what it does, what, what products and services you all have. And then if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the tech stack uh, there at NextSpec. Sure. So uh, NextSpec is a two and a half year young company uh, with a mission statement to create scalable cloud-hosted M&A solutions. Uh, we offer SaaS services for digital inventory management and also create supply chain workflow automation solutions. Again, everything pretty much cloud hosted. Uh, and in addition, we have what I guess could best be described as a Skunk Works onboarding team. Um, that might not mean as much to folks that are you know uh, less steeped in this part of the supply chain, but. Really, it's just, a, again, a team that kind of tackles things in a manual way. Again, so even if it was on-prem or in the cloud, you just want people that kind of understand, like, what are the processes that you eventually want to scale up and have automations work on? And we view that as being important because it helps us to understand, again, like, what are the actual business requirements? Not to just charge forward with development, but to manage those business requirements, have a clear understanding of what the automation is supposed to do, what the software is intended to do. And there's no better way to do that than just having, again, somebody do things very manually. And again, the idea is to scale that up quickly. Uh, but if you, we feel that if you jump straight to the software solutions, you're going to end up some, with something that is, you know, it works for some workflows, but not all. So it's a, you know, a keen focus of ours. It's kind of that white glove onboarding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they help to define all those requirements for our software development. Um, and again, like clearly lay out, you know, those user stories and everything else. So again, you know, they're doing a whole mixed role, but like really, you know, their fundamental purpose is to like tackle those challenges the same way you would if you didn't have like a lot of the customized, you know, architected software uh, that existed. And when it comes to our tech stack, that actually, you know, we'll start there. That actually brings its own unique set of challenges because in order to help this onboarding team, um, you know, they effectively need to be able to function as if they were, you know, sitting in front of a powerhouse, uh, excuse me, powerhouse editorial workstation, right? So again, like that's yeah, the way you yeah. do things manually. And, you know, we're cloud agnostic, you know, but truly speaking, most of our clients are AWS centric. So most of our solutions tend to be geared towards uh, AWS, including our SaaS offerings, you know, but at the end of the day, these principles, a lot of them still apply to whichever cloud provider that you're interested in, in leveraging. And one of our goals, uh, and again, this was uh, particularly challenging, given that Skunkworks onboarding team was to not have any real equipment on-prem. You know, so if you mm -hmm. look in our machine room, it's basically just a firewall and a switch. 
um, yeah. and you know hosted at the you know desk spaces we have like the equivalent of just terminals that are intended to just be a front end into cloud cloud hosted computers. Um, so I guess you know again we'll start with what we did to facilitate uh, what again I'll call the production environment. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of security requirements that are stringent. Uh, and for good reason, because if you're working on pre-release content, like movie or episodic content, and it leaks, you know, before it's meant to air or show in theaters, that's, you know, obviously a lot of lost revenue. So, you know, one of the challenges uh, with uh, working in these production environments is that you expect to have like these two separate networks, you know, they're typically called like a corporate network where you're doing like your daily business work. And then what mm -hmm. is typically labeled a production network, and we call it a secure network. Um where again, like it's, I guess the closest equivalent would be air gapped, meaning that yeah, yeah. those editorial workstations, yeah, they can't communicate uh, aside from, you know, communication coming in, they actually can't communicate out. So you can't even like search Google or anything else because you don't want anybody posting a file to Dropbox or whatever, right. else, you know, when they're working on this content. Um, so that in and of itself was an interesting challenge to try to set that up in the cloud, you know, again, to quickly summarize, we just created two separate VPCs to mirror those same kind of environments in the cloud, you know, and they were connected through uh, to uh, the equivalent on-prem VLANs, right? So right. inside our production VPC, um, you know, that's communicating to that production VLAN on-prem where we have like, um, you know, the terminal or emulate workstations, we're using that technology to remote into those uh, hosted instances. And um, our production VPC has a storage gateway, like an AWS specific product deployed within there that serves as our NAS or network detached storage. It's backed by S3. So really it's you know, kind of beautiful because it's infinite yeah, storage yeah. on our NAS. Um, uh -huh. And um, we have individual EC2s that serve as our post-production workstations. Again, they're running uh, HP Anywhere, uh, Teradici, you know, for folks that are familiar with, uh, with the software solution. Yeah. And then uh, those Amulet terminals, again, are serving as the front end. So somebody sits down in front of an Amulet and again, they feel like they're sitting in front of this powerhouse beefy, yeah. you know, editorial workstation that is really in the cloud, you know, miles and miles away, you know, and again, it's great because using these technologies, they get the benefit of, a, again, a powerhouse editorial workstation with stores yeah. that meets the most demanding data IO requirements to play back, you know, a UHD file to edit those um, and, and move that content around. And then the other key thing is that we didn't have to outlay a lot of capital to spin that up, right? Yeah. Like we, yeah. we put our infrastructure together, but, you know, to you're talking about hundreds of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars usually just to get those editorial workstations and the amount of storage that would be required to deploy on-prem, you know, and it was very easy to kind of put this together. Um, well, I, I think that maybe it wasn't super easy to set it up originally. Maybe right? not it, easy, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> easy now that it's in practice, right? We went through a lot yeah, of yeah. R&D effort um, to make sure that everything could be tuned just right to meet. And again, like these are very specific requirements for our industry. Um, yeah, but we wanted yeah. to make sure that it could meet those challenges uh, and requirements before we you know, said like, yep, just the firewall and the switch sitting in the machine room, nothing else sitting there. And it also allows us to, um, again, like meet all the other requirements, meaning that you know, just 
physical security in order to pass you know, yeah. certain security audits. Somebody needs to badge in, go behind yet a second door, go into the secure room, sit down at yeah. that amulet workstation. So again, they can't access this content, you know, sitting from home through a VPN connection. Like again, right. this has all the same security requirements that you would have if you tried to facilitate this on-prem. I, I love that description, Alex, because I, I know a lot of our our listeners, they probably don't work in, in uh, media and entertainment, but they work in highly regulated environments and have some of those same types of requirements. Uh, and this also is a great segue to the myth itself that uh, what we're attacking today is this myth that the cloud is not reliable yet you've been able to build this, we'll call it infrastructure, cloud-based infrastructure that provides great response time and a feel like you're in front of a beefed up on-premises laptop or desktop. Where do you think this whole myth of the cloud's not reliable, where do you think that got started? Yeah, I mean, I'll have to be honest, like, I guess I'm a little bit of a latecomer to the party um, because, you know, by the time I was a little more heavily steeped uh, in the cloud, this is around 2016, you know, we had uh, certainly had some services and everything deployed in there, but I never really heard as much the label applied to it um, of it being unreliable, but maybe if I could choose a different word, uh, yeah. I would say inconvenient to maybe make reliable, right? Oh, I, I guess. Okay. Is, you know, because I, I do feel like, and you know, maybe I'm mistaken, but that hopefully most people at this point do understand. And maybe this is, again, why you, you'd be you're a confused by this. <laughs> yeah. There's really not much of an excuse to say that things are unreliable in the cloud. And we can get to some of the specific technologies and what's backing that redundancy or reliability at the end of the day. Um, you know, we didn't even cover the, the um, SaaS part of our tech stack, you know, but again, there's a yeah, whole yeah. gamut of stuff that sits behind there. But I can appreciate if somebody says that, you know, it, I don't know how to make something reliable in the oh, cloud. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I can certainly empathize and sympathize with that. And, and I guess that, you know, the main thing is that the architecture principles to make something reliable, they can be a little more complicated again than you want to deal with uh, or than what you're seeing in the on-prem world. But mm -hmm. the truth is that there's just, there's a lot more ways to accomplish that reliability and redundancy uh, in the cloud. Yeah. And perhaps sometimes having too many options just creates that paralysis that like you, you don't know what to yeah. do, right? So you either don't deploy like some of the options that you have or just kind of stop there because it's just, I've got 10 different things on the table. What's the right choice, right? And yeah. again, I can appreciate that, but you know, if you're just starting off on your cloud journey, like really that's again, why you want a partner and, you know, we use InterVision, but you want someone to break down those options for you in layman terms. And right. the reality is that the choices that you have, there typically isn't a bad choice of what you want to do in order to achieve that reliability or redundancy. But what I can say is that a lot of times there is a best choice for you and your organization, huh, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to make a yeah. bad choice if you, you know, again, follow the principles of how you're intended to architect things in the cloud. But based on your priority, is it the redundancy itself? Is it cost? Like, where is your sliding scale of like where, you know, and again, you do these same evaluations on prem of, you know, how much, you know, how many hot spares do you want to have? Like, all, yeah, all. yeah. You know, again, it's just, it's a different question, right? Or a different answer to the mm -hmm. same question. 
at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, again, if you don't have that knowledge right now, you know, you can research it or again, like leverage a partner that has already gone through this and have them together for you. Yeah. Well, we're going to pause right there. Speaking of partners, and we're going to listen to a, a short message from, from InterVision. As our listeners know, InterVision is the publisher of the Status Go podcast. Unlock the power of more with InterVision Systems. We provide the cutting-edge technology and expert guidance you need to take your business to the next level. Don't settle for less. Choose InterVision Systems and discover what's possible. Contact us now to learn more. And if you do want to learn more, visit intervision.com slash myths. There you'll be able to explore some of the other myths that we busted throughout this series and learn more about this specific myth. Today, we're talking with Alex Otero, and Alex is the CTO for NextSpecs. And we've been talking about this myth that the cloud is not reliable. And I love the way he uh, tilted that myth a little bit uh, before break that maybe it's that you you may not know how, it's a little different approach to reliability. Uh, and so uh, understanding how to build reliable systems in the cloud can be a little different and you may need to use a partner or do some study on, on how to do that. But what I'd like to do now, Alex, uh, getting back into our conversation is as you've seen this, you started out at, like many uh, on-prem. Uh, you were uh, focused technology infrastructure on-prem, and now you're in a, a cloud-only, pretty much, uh, environment. What advancements have you seen in the time that you've been involved in cloud that that make it more reliant, more resilient? Sure, and I mean, I do think it is worthwhile to mention that again, like even by the time we were, you know, in the cloud playground, there were a lot of good things that already existed. And you know, a simple example there is storage, right? Like storage has always been very reliable in the cloud, and it's you know easy to take for granted uh, how reliable and redundant it can be because it's just a you know standard offering again that you're getting three copies of backups for every file that you put in the cloud. Like, again, you know, you don't have to think about it. The moment you put it in the cloud, if you're just choosing a standard tier, you know, you're getting three copies of, of this file. It's spread off across um, what, you know, in the AWS instance, they would call an availability zone. So, you know, mm-hmm. just consider that this has been around for quite some time. This is like not even thinking about it, not doing anything. You've got, you know, two additional carbon copies to that file that are available just in case something happens without setting up any infrastructure. The moment you turn on your account, upload a file, that happens automatically. And again, like there's plenty that you can do beyond that and you can choose to actually scale that down if you want a less costly, you know, option to say, I only want that content in one availability zone. You know, a lot of this, goes to how many nines you want to pay for of, of uh, redundancy yeah. or reliability. Um, and you can go to the other end of the spectrum and say, you know, an availability zone is all within, you know, one region. Like, yeah, the, each one of those warehouses is a few miles apart, but like, I want my other stuff on the other side of the continent or another continent yeah. entirely. Again, 
there's easy tools that have been around for quite some time that allow you to do that, that even that kind of redundancy without yeah. too much effort and setup. Um, but I think when we talk about, you know, newer things that have, um, you know, become more popular since, again, we started our cloud journey. Um, I'm a big fan of serverless technologies, you know, managed services oh. as well. But, you know, with these technologies, like the, you pay, you know, a little bit of a premium, but it's not really too much to have a lot of the intensive IT functions of like managing patching, monitoring availability, like taking fine control of like how the architecture scales. And again, like this goes underneath the hood, a lot of this goes to reliability. Like something broke down because this didn't scale up or something broke down because we didn't patch that. Like, again, like you have to realize that, you know, that reliability isn't just about like, you know, an internet cable got cut. It's about like right, right. all the standard things that you're going to have to do within an on-prem uh, world, you know, that still applies yes. in the cloud. And again, you have so many more options. And again, this is why I love the serverless side because there's a significant investment to set things up. But after setting things up, if you don't have to worry about that constant maintenance and, you know, the, um, post-deployment, like just monitoring of everything, if you are able to offload that and, you know, the cost is worth it. And usually it's, it's a really good trade-off. It's again, something you want to consider, you know, it becomes very worthwhile. And again, without having to think about it the same way that I was discussing on the storage side for S3, you don't even think about it. This just comes out of the box. You know, there's a lot of new serverless technologies and managed services that have been existing that um, allow you to, again, focus on like the, what you're providing as opposed to how you're providing it. And we've also found that that helped a lot of our resources to not have to, again, become super deep subject matter experts in all these specific technologies. Again, like they can help focus on the what we're doing as opposed to how we're doing it by letting those managed services or other technologies, again, just offload the day-to-day responsibilities that, you know, would take, you know, several people to manage. And I kind of liken it to a wizard approach, right? That you can just kind of have the wizard go in, set some stuff up, and then, you know, it just kind of, it'll let you know if anything crazy is going on. But for the most part, you just kind of set it and and forget it. And maybe it's worth mentioning, you know, again, I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate and because, you know, the argument that I hear, you know, against, uh, you know, some of these options and I absolutely understand is, you know, a lot of those specific technologies give you a little more of uh, what we'll call vendor lock, meaning that like, well, that's specific to that cloud provider. So if I deploy mm-hmm. that technology, that means that I'm stuck in their stack. And if I want to migrate over to someone else, uh, like now I have to re-architect everything. And that's correct. Like it's, right. it's a valid and I just, we always ask ourselves, you know, well, when is the next time that we would even consider a migration, right? Is that right, like right. one year away, three years away, five years away? Again, because if you're in the three to five year range, like that probably should be in your toolkit, you know? And like, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just, it's one of those things that, again, I appreciate the sentiment behind, you know, not having that vendor lock, but, you know, we love to move, be able to move fast, um, you know, and there's times that it's yeah. not appropriate. Uh, and other times that it is, that it just allows us to say, you know, again, we can build this really quickly. And more importantly, 
you know, um, one of the things that, you know, it's just the, the ugly truth in the development world. Once you release something to production, you're all of a sudden carving off a certain amount of development time for maintenance, right? Of just yes. maintaining that. <laughs> and then that eats away at how much new development that you can do. And I like to keep yeah. as much of that bandwidth available to the new development that our teams want to focus on, as opposed to maintaining additional infrastructure. And so that's why, again, like I, I love these technologies because to me, like it's a huge underpinning to reliability. I don't need people yeah. to like sit around and babysit these technologies. They're just going to function on their own. You want them to do the the more value add. So so when we talk about reliability, we're we're not saying that there's never disruption. There's never possible downtime. How do the cloud providers? You mentioned you you are mostly in AWS, but it sounds like you're also maybe in Azure, maybe Google Compute as well. Uh, how do they handle potential downtime or or even the unexpected service disruption? Yeah, so, I mean, again, it's worthwhile to circle back to something you brought up at the beginning of our conversation that you do have, and it's, you know, once in a blue, blue moon, that like big outage, um, you know, that happens and it's publicized mm -hmm. and everybody knows and <laughs> I, you know, Instagram's down or, or whatever it is. But right, right. In a certain way, like, I feel like that has the fact that it becomes so widespread and newsworthy um, makes it almost a force majeure <laughs> because evidence, uh -huh. well, the cloud provider's down or somebody cut this cable on the Atlantic or something and that's what's going yes, on. Yes. They just have to yeah. fix it. And, you know, most of our clients are dealing with the same exact problem of like this part of their infrastructure got cut mm -hmm. off. So I feel like there's a lot more understanding when something like that happens. But again, like this yeah. is a rarity of this kind of stuff happening. Mm -hmm. And the service providers are always very quick to act, uh, bringing that back online, because obviously there's huge impact to a huge customer base. It's not like it's just you, you know, that is dealing with this issue. Yeah. So there's an urgent need to get this fixed, which works to your benefit. That now again, it's not just, you know, five people in a machine room trying to figure this out. You've got probably a thousand people trying to like yeah. sort out whatever it is that's going on to get your systems uh, back online at that point. And, you know, I think that there's still, you know, plenty of other uh, situations where there's uh, managed downtimes, meaning that, you know, the um, cloud provider is letting you know, we expect to perform maintenance at these times. So there will be a service oh, yeah. disruption. And again, I, I view this as, as a good thing. Um, one of the, you know, neatest things that we observe is that, when we start to deploy our cloud infrastructure using the, the tools that they provide, every time we deploy an instance or a serverless technology or whatever it's going to be, even um, certain software solutions, um, the operating system, through the tools that they're giving to us, you're getting the benefit of a free like warranty registration card, right? Like how often do your teams actually fill out that like registration card afterwards yeah, yeah. to get the notification from a vendor to say, hey, you know, this patch is available or this or that. So for everything that you deploy using your tools, now the cloud provider is typically sending you a notification to say, you have this expected patch that is going to be applied or should be applied in case you're fully managing it. They still know, right? In a managed service, they're going to patch it for you. If you deployed it on your own, they still have your warranty registration to kind of say, hey, we know you installed this. You should probably update it by this date because it's going to reach this end of life. And by the way, yeah. if you hit that end of life, it might impact you in this way of X, Y, and Z. 
you've got proactive notifications letting you know yeah. exactly what's going to happen. And in other cases, I've mentioned when they're going to patch it for you to plan ahead for those managed downtime. So again, I, I see it as a pretty neat benefit that yeah. like yeah. You know, what people would a lot of times forget to do on their own and, and like monitor to see proactive. It's an extra set of eyes watching yeah. it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you know, you have a host of other options as well from the um, the cloud providers where they have services that, again, will proactively monitor your infrastructure and environment. There's a lot of great third-party choices there too um, that will go in and, and monitor the environment as well. But, you know, I, I think that we've had pretty good experiences on that time. Um, you know, there's there's been a handful of times where, um, I don't even want to call it a service disruption. It's just, you know, it's almost, again, a, a bug that is found yeah. in a certain part of it, the technology stack that's deployed. And we just reach out through the regular support channels and you know open that mm -hmm. report. And again, I have to say that the support that we receive is extremely responsive, right? So they're getting back to us right away, asking us for more details if additional uh, information is required. So again, usually those disruptions are minimized like when they do occur, or again, like we're planning ahead of time because they're letting us know there's an anticipated downtime for maintenance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when businesses that are out there that are thinking about moving uh, more and more to the cloud, what steps can they take, uh, in your opinion, uh, to choose a reliable cloud provider? Uh, or are they all pretty much uh, on par anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, you know, any of the majors are going to be a reliable provider. You know, at the end of the day, for everything, and obviously, you know, look look at the the details, and and you know, if there's specific things that you're looking to leverage in the cloud, you might want to do a little bit more research. But especially for like the kind of um, common set of solutions that you expect, like all of the majors are going to be, um, you know, pretty uh, pretty reliable at this stage. And then you have some specialty providers, like storage is a good instance. There's a lot of smaller players coming on the field for storage and things like that. And again, like I would argue that many of them still have great reliability metrics. Uh, but again, you know, all you have to do is take their uh, data and compare it against what one of the majors would have and say, like, is that as many nines as I want? You know, but yeah. the data is all there. Um, it's publicized. And I think that, you know, you, you can't really make a bad choice. It just depends on what you want to do. And again, I'll circle back mm -hmm. to just I'd recommend to have a trusted partner, you know, helping you plot your course if you haven't started this journey. There's a lot of ways to achieve that reliability, but you know, someone helping you by just saying what your needs are will help you sort through the information and uncover that best option. Is that there's often not wrong options, but there's typically a, a, a best or right option for your particular use case. And uh, you know, Intervision or any other trusted partner can help boil that down and just give you the pros and cons, right? So you can make the That's executive right. decision on what either cloud provider to go with or service to go with. And again, like that goes across the board, I think. Yeah. Alex, we've come to that point in time where it's time to bust the myth. So when you get off work today and, and you go, maybe, maybe you stop by the, the pub on the way home and you're talking with an IT peer uh, and they, they told you they were not leveraging the cloud because it is not reliable. What would you tell them? Yeah, I have to say, um, because I don't often hear this, I mean, for me, the answer is, is, is pretty simple. I, I would just say prove it, right? Like, uh, I think a lot of those myths just come from hearsay. And, you know, they spoke yeah. to someone that had a bit, bad experience 
or perhaps tried to do too much on their own as they were just getting started on their cloud journey. They might not have a staff that is, you know, well versed in the options that are out there because maybe they've they've dealt with the on-prem. But again, I'm just going to circle back to this. Like that's when you make a choice to, you know, leverage the right, you know, um, trusted party to help you out to make those decisions. But, you know, I. I can't imagine that there is a use case that somebody could bring to me to say, here's the data here on why this, yeah. you know, is unreliable where again, like at, at the very least, if you have the data, you couldn't debunk it and to just say, well, that's because, you know, your load balancer was, you know, properly configured. Like it has to do with configuration yeah. and the choices made and execution as opposed to the cloud itself, which again, you can make those same mistakes in an on-prem environment and, Right. You just have more choices about how to achieve that reliability in the cloud. Don't let that paralyze you. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Prove it. Show me the, show me the data that, that uh, backs up your assertion that it's not reliable. Well, Alex, here on Status Go, we are all about action. And we want to make sure that we leave our listeners with one or two things that they can go and do tomorrow because they listen to us today. So what would you recommend them go do? as they're on their cloud journey? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on where you are in that cloud journey. If you're already in there, you know, I would recommend, as I mentioned earlier, I love serverless and managed services offered by some of the cloud providers. So I'd recommend taking a look at how much you spend on maintenance and, you know, on deploying some of those solutions The um, you know, IT needs to monitor, effectively monitor them um, and maintain them. And take a look to see if the managed service or serverless options make sense for you so that you can deploy those resources on, again, more growth or other things like that, as opposed to just keeping the machine running. Um, because, again, there's many ways to achieve that reliability and redundancy. So it's worthwhile to take stock with those newer technologies that are available there. And there's new ones across different products that are constantly launching. So, you know, keeping abreast of that is is definitely important. Um, if you're not in the cloud, um, there's always barriers to that journey. Um, but here, I just recommend that, you know, look at some of the programs that the cloud providers offer to help facilitate a migration. And that's because a lot of times there's incentives to help ease a transition to move your on-prem footprint into the cloud. But the more important part of the, that is, you know, those incentives usually come with pairing you with a partner that again, understands how to do that migration, how to achieve, you know, the security that you want, the cost that you want, the reliability and redundancy that you want. Um, you know, so again, the, the cloud providers are keen to help you move into there. So take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I, I love those actions because no matter where you are on your cloud journey, that, that gives people a next step to go look into. And as you were talking about serverless, uh, I was thinking to myself, well, gosh, that that could make a whole episode talking about the serverless options that are out there, uh, because I don't think that's anything we've covered specifically here on Status Go. So, uh, mental note: Well, we we may have you back, Alex, to talk about serverless technology. Uh, I really want to thank you for carving out time and and talking with us. I know in the in the midst of a what two two and a half year old company start probably in startup scale up mode, you're. You're probably uh, uh, burning the candle at both ends already. So I appreciate you jumping on uh, the program with us today, Alex. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, and you know, always exciting to talk about you know what's going on in the cloud. 
Well, there you have it. Another myth busted. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com slash myths. That's M-Y-T-H-S. To review the show notes, go to intervision.com slash status dash go. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Alex Otero. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.